0: Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue included with the podcast today we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge Jesus or faith in general we would love to hear from you and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickhole at crossbridge or send us a text to our text in number at 305. 930 Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. May we see you, church.
1: Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful for this time together as your people gathered here in this space, As we contemplate what is on the horizon for this year, Lord, many of us are excited, many of us are anxious. For some of us, the year started off great, for others, uh, with pain and difficulty. But Lord, as we have reminded ourselves tonight, through your scripture and through singing songs, God, that you working in every aspect of our life, that we can praise you because you're refining us, you're building our life upon your love, not upon our own performance. So we pray tonight as we look at this crucial mission statement that you have given your church, that we would receive it, that we would come ready to hear and be transformed by the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening church. How's everyone doing tonight? Woo, woo. I feel like we got some energy tonight. We're going to we're going to engage together. I'm so glad uh, to be back with you having a few weeks break. I feel rejuvenated. So if there's a little bit more energy, it's not caffeine, it's just excitement. And also because we are launching a, a new series tonight, really a campaign that we're calling Focus 1. It's going to be the mantra, the prayer, the hope, the desire for our church, all four campuses across Miami. For the entirety of this year, we're going to spend the next five weeks kind of diagnosing and walking through what this means to focus on one and where it comes from in Scripture. Here's the tagline or the mission statement of this sermon series and campaign. It's one life focused for one year, on one message to make a difference in one city through the life of one person. Everyone got it? Well, we got five weeks to memorize it together and to uh, receive it and to live it out. Uh, I want to encourage you as well. You're going to hear a little bit about this at the end of the service. uh, But if you go on our website uh, this evening, crossbridgefamily.com, we are launching a 30-day prayer guide that will go along with this campaign. And so we'd love for you to join in Uh, with all the campuses praying for our city and praying for the person that God puts on your heart this evening or maybe sometime uh, this week. You know, we were contemplating as leadership, uh, volunteer servant leaders, as well as staff, and we were just kind of diagnosing over the past month the place that God has us as a church. And we're considering what 2019 looked like and maybe what 2020 has for us. And one of the things that kept coming up as we were just praying and discussing with multiple different leaders at different com- campuses and on different levels is that there is so much at stake in our city. Our city is changing rapidly. Many of you have just arrived the past couple weeks or past couple months. It's transient, it's growing, it's blossoming, it's a culture that's being created before our very eyes, but not just our city, but our country as well is changing rapidly. And there is so much at stake, and one of the things that we cannot do as a church is just continue to do what everyone expects church to be like and for church to do, to play church. And so we've been praying and asking God, what do you want for us this year? And we felt like this campaign, this sermon series that we're going to flesh out over the next five weeks is where God has us positioned as a church and where we're going to ask you to join in on an adventure, an adventure of faith, something new, something different, something that will challenge you and stretch you and refine you, but something that's exciting and is worth your time and your investment. You know, if you have been in America for any period of time, 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, you know that there's been this big shift happening. Really, in the last 30 years, it's picked up steam recently, and that is we are a country that has really lost a former identity and is on the march towards a new one. What I mean by that is, we were at one time a place of Christendom. America was a place of Christendom, meaning it was a largely Christian society where the majority of people felt compelled to go to church and where they viewed mission as what you do overseas. When you go on mission, you go overseas to places where there are not a lot of Christians. But America is a place of Christendom. It's a place where the church is attractive through programs and different means. But the past thirty years we have left Christendom. America is no longer a place of Christendom or a Christian society, but we're in a weird flux as a country because we are not a non Christian nation and we are not fully post Christian either. See, a non Christian nation is like Pakistan or China. Where you don't have the freedoms that we enjoy here to gather on a Sunday night in the heart of the city and worship God, where you don't have a lot of the policies and and leaders that are kind of supported by Christian values, where you don't have that is where you find a non-Christian nation. We're a, a country of a lot of non-Christians, but we are certainly not an entire a, a non-Christian nation in its entirety, and we are also not post-Christian. Now there are places like Miami and other large metropolitan cities where it feels more post-christian than maybe in some of the other states and rural environments, but we're not post-christian like Europe. You see, a truly post-christian environment is one where people feel no compulsion to go to church. Christmas, why would you go to church? Easter, why would you go to church? Had a bad week, bad month, bad year, no compulsion to go to church. Go anywhere else, but not church. And no amount of programs can attract you to church. See, we're not there yet. Many places in the country, many people in different cities, maybe that's you here tonight, you're here out of some compulsion. You were kind of raised in a Christian environment. It it feels right to go to church occasionally, maybe when there's a, a bad week or a bad month or to start off a year. Many people in our country still feel compelled to go to church. And many churches still are seeking to attract people through programs. I want the best kids ministry, the best music, the best performance, the best ministries, the best services to members. And if we build it, they will come. You see, we're not fully post-Christian and we're not non-Christian. We are formerly a Christian society of Christendom that's on the march to a post-Christian culture. Places like Miami, we feel that maybe more strongly than other places. Because our culture is changing so fast. Do you feel that? It feels like the culture is changing, not every five years, but maybe every two, and maybe it's shrinking to every one, or every month even. I mean, think about five years ago, 2015. I don't even know what happened then. <laughs> but I, can, I know that the way that we see things, the way that people interact, the things that are good and right, they, all these things have changed, and they're changing before our eyes. Not only that, but the youngest generation, Gen Zs, we maybe got some of them in the room, you Zoomers, Zoom Zoom, don't understand why it's Gen Z, it sounds kind of cool, but Gen Zs are the most irreligious generation in the history of America, They are three to four times more likely to be atheist or agnostic than any other generation ever in American history. And the church in America, depending on the study that you look at, between 65 and 80 percent of the church is declining. Every year, losing people, churches closing their doors. 65 to 80 percent of the church in America is declining. We are on our march towards a post-Christian culture. And so we cannot just do church the same. We want to take Jesus' words seriously. We don't want to just sit around. We want to embark on an adventure of faith. There's a story I love by a man. It's about a man, and his name is Larry Walter. How many of you are familiar with Larry Walter? Okay, this is going to be awesome. No one. His nickname is Lawn Chair Larry. Because Lawn Chair Larry had a dream when he was a child. And This is a true story, by the way, that happened in the early 80s, around 1982. He lived outside of Los Angeles, And he always wanted to fly. And so when Larry was old enough, he enlisted in the Air Force, and his dream was to be a fighter pilot. Unfortunately, Larry had poor eyesight, and so he would never be a fighter pilot. So he left the Army, and he moved back home, and he just kind of went on with his life, but he never lost the dream of flying for himself. So one day, he's with his girlfriend, he's driving in his neighborhood, and he sees the familiar Army-Navy surplus store. And he pulls in, and he's perusing the aisles, and he sees large military-grade weather balloons. And then he tells his girlfriend, I have an idea, and I want you to finance it. And she said yes. And he bought 43 military-grade weather balloons, a lawn chair, a BB gun, a CB radio, and then on the way home, a six-pack of Miller Lite. (laughs) Here was his plan. He was going to go and figure out how to fly in the lawn chair with the military-grade weather balloons attached to it. His girlfriend said, let's do it in the backyard. She spent about $4,000. They spent $3,000 on helium, and they filled up these large military-grade weather balloons, attached it to a lawn chair, put two dozen jugs of water on the side for balance, and his plan was to sit there with the CB radio talk to them on the ground, get up to about 7,000 feet, shoot some of the balloons with the BB gun to level out, float up there, drink a six-pack, and possibly land in the Mojave Desert. And so he begins to, you know, follow through with the plan. And he gets in the chair, they cock it at a 45-degree angle, it's all balanced, he's got the six-pack, he's got the BB gun. They got the balloons. It's full up. They feel the tension. There's two tethers. They cut one tether so that they can stabilize. They're feeling good about this. He's listen, remember the plan? We got a lot more to kind of get set up before we go. But when I get up there, make sure you notify air traffic control because I'm, I'm a man in a lawn chair flying at 7,000 feet. They might want to know that. All of a sudden, a wind gust comes and it snaps the second tether. They weren't ready for this. He didn't just float up like Curious George when he had a bunch of balloons. He rocketed up at 1,000 feet a minute in a lawn chair, weather balloons, panicking. Everyone on the ground, his best friend and his girlfriend, are freaking out. They forget to call air traffic control as they're losing reception. He's flying up. He gets to 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 7,000 feet, and he keeps going, 9,000, 10,000. He stops at 16,000 feet in a lawn chair. And then an airplane flies by, sees him, calls air traffic control and says, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's a man at 16,000 feet in a lawn chair with a gun. (laughs) So as he's up there, set figuring out, panicking, I don't know if I should shoot the balloons because I could come crashing down 60,000 feet, I'm dead. Ultimately, I think after probably a couple beers, he gets the strength to shoot a few of the balloons. He shoots about 10 of them out and he starts to float down. He lands on power lines over Long Beach, California with the authorities there to arrest him and also reporters. And so he gets down, they arrest him. And the reporter says to Larry, Larry, why'd you do it? And he says, a man can't just sit around. (laughs) That is the greatest response ever. And I tell you that because that's the heart of this series. We don't want to just sit around. We don't want to just do the same old thing that you've done every year. If you've been in church for a while, if you've been coming, or if you're new and you have expectations, we want to really take Jesus at his word and believe it's true and believe it's good and believe it's an adventure. And yes, it's risky, but it's worth it. You see, this passage tonight is the very end of the book of Matthew, and it's Jesus' last charge to his disciples so there's significance here it's called the great commission right before this jesus appears to mary and to the disciples and he has come back from the dead he's resurrected and he meets them and he sees them but over a period of time as he spends time with the disciples he also as we see in the other gospel accounts appears to over 500 people but he tells his disciples the 11 of them because judas betrayed him and then he took his own life So the 11 of them, he says, I want you to meet me in Galilee at the mountain. They're in Jerusalem. And so they take this on and they begin the long, exhausting three to five day trek from Jerusalem up to the region around the Sea of Galilee. Here's what it says in verse 16 Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I I was reading this and I, my first question was why are they going to Galilee? Why can't they just stay in Jerusalem? Like Jesus go see some other people for a few days. We'll stay here, come back. Why do we have to spend the money and organize the trip to travel all the way back to Galilee? And then what's the mountain? You see, the Sea of Galilee is a region that's very mountainous. There's not just one mountain, there's many different mountains all over this area, but the 11 disciples know exactly where Jesus wants them to go. Jesus says, go to the mountain, and they know where it is. I was asking myself this week, God, where is the mountain? Scholars have different thoughts, but I really think that where they're going is where Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. You see earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus delivers the greatest sermon ever on the mountain in the sea of Galilee with his disciples there and then many others listening in and he shares what the kingdom of God looks like, the qualities of the kingdom of God, the concerns of the kingdom of God and how God's people should look. If you call yourself a citizen of God's kingdom, a believer, In God, a follower of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, this is what your life will look like. These are the things that will be the virtues and values that you follow. So I believe that he's directing them to that very place for a very important reason, and that is he's going to charge them to not focus inward, but to live their life focused outward on others. You see, I think Jesus understands something about us, and that is we will take all the time in the world to focus on ourselves before we focus any energy on someone else. How many of your New Year's resolutions are focused on someone else? Instead of being focused on your own personal growth and development and health and well-being, how many of your resolutions are geared towards serving and caring for and helping someone else? See, we focus on ourselves easily. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, what I'm about to tell you is so important and I want you to take it as the most important charge that I give you because if you want to see the qualities and the concerns and the character of the kingdom of God grow in you, you have to follow what I say here. You have to focus on others to see the righteousness and holiness and goodness of God grow in you. If you focus on that, it's not going to work. But if you take my commission... You will see that grow in you. He's focusing their eyes outward. And so it says when they saw him, they see him there on the mountain as they're trekking up. They worshiped him, but some doubted. So interesting what they include in Scripture. The 11 disciples see Jesus, and Matthew says, some of us were ready to worship. Some of us were ready to receive whatever Jesus said, give our life offer anything whatever we were going to take it up and we were going to run after it but some of us doubted we have seen jesus resurrected we didn't doubt whether or not he was in fact a messiah you see the word doubt here doesn't refer to an intellectual doubt a doubt of faith rather it's a hesitation some of the disciples they were ready to worship the others were hesitant what's he going to say how is this going to affect Am I going to be traveling all over the place again? Some were hesitant, some were doubting, some were ready to worship. And yet, what's so peculiar is that Jesus never addresses it. He certainly knows some of the disciples are hesitant, but he doesn't address it. He welcomes them. You see, all of us come to Jesus expectant. You came here expectant tonight. Whether you came expecting to worship and to receive what God's word, how it would impact your heart and your mind and transform you, or ready to worship as you came in the door and some of you came in hesitant. So I mean, I feel compelled to go to church. I'm going to try it out. I'm interested in it. It's kind of my rhythm, whatever the reason, but you're hesitant that it's going to be anything new or anything fresh or anything of significance. It's just going to kind of be the same flow. Maybe there's a nugget that you can take and you can apply. We all come expectant on different sides of the aisle, and yet Jesus welcomes you with his words. He doesn't berate you. He doesn't keep you away and say, listen, until you get the hesitancy out of here, you can't come. You have to come fully ready to worship or else I don't want anything to do with you. He doesn't do that. He just welcomes you because he knows the power of his words will transform you. When you come before them, regardless of how you come, with doubt or ready to worship, when you really listen and receive to Jesus' words, it will transform you. All 11 of these disciples eventually gave their life for what they heard here today. Some were hesitant, but not after they really received what Jesus said. And so he says this He came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm the Messiah. You saw me days ago, crucified, and now you see me alive again with you. You know what I say has authority, and has authority over all heavens and all earth, and I want you to receive this mission. Go and make and baptize. Three words that jump out. Go and make and baptize. The first one, let's look at go. He says, go as sent people. Go to all the nations. Go to people. He sends them out. Do you believe that you are sent to the people in your life, that God sends you? He tells you to go to your office. He tells you to go to your neighborhood. He tells you to go to your friends, to your family, to your condo, to that coffee shop that you go to every morning to survive. He tells you to go there. He sends you there. He sends you out to the people around you, the people that intersect every aspect of your life, the God who has all authority and all heaven and earth, tells you to go to those people. What do you think would happen if just us in the room took that on and really received it? I said, I'm going to believe that, God. I'm going to believe that you're calling me to go to the people in my life, the people that intersect with the different aspects of my life and different environments of my life. I'm going to really believe, God, that you're calling me to go to them and to interact with them What would happen if we lived like that? It would be something like revival, something like an adventure, something like different and exciting. What if we went? I was asking myself this question why do I not always go? Why do we as the church often not go to the people in our lives, in our work, in our neighborhood? our friends. Why? Maybe many reasons, but I think one of the main reasons, and if we're all honest, we would agree, is probably because of comfort. We're comfortable. We're comfortable with the system of belief and purpose and community that we have fashioned for ourselves, or we're working right now to make it more comfortable. We want our system of belief and our purpose and our community to be comfortable You see, by every metric, organized religion and the engagement in organized religion in America is declining. Massively declining. People expect more of the same. They think that the message of Jesus is about rules that you apply to your life to make your life a little bit better, to make you more positive, to give you a little bit more of a motivation into work, whatever it may be, and that church is the same old thing There's nothing exciting. There's nothing adventurous. If you want adventure, if you want excitement, go somewhere else, but certainly don't go to church. It's obvious why people see no need to engage with the community of God's people or with Jesus's words because it feels like more of the same. But what's so interesting is that people are not leaving the church for wickedness, they're actually leaving the church, as America goes from a place of Christendom to a post-Christian culture, for a religion that they fashion for themselves. The Gen Z, the Zoomers, Zoom Zooms, they are three to four times more likely to be atheist or agnostic, but they're actually, at the same time, probably the most moral generation in the history of America. They're more likely than any other generation to not fight, not drink, not use hard drugs, and not have premarital sex. It makes no sense. Wait, they're less likely to do these things, but then they're also less likely to believe in a God or to engage in the words of Jesus. Why? It's because we, as people not just those out there, but us in here as well, we're in the same boat. We are comfortable creating our own system of belief and purpose and community that feels right to us. It feels like it's for our own good and our own personal development. You see, many people are leaving faith or leaving church because now politics is their religion. You see that? Work is their religion. Yoga is their church. CrossFit is their church. Sabbath is not looking at your phone for a few hours, right? We're reinventing all of these things to create our own system and we are in the same boat. We view church not as something that is exciting and God is going to speak as God's people gather and God's word is the definitive truth that I am to listen to and really to apply to my life. All of these things become optional to us, As we build our system, and especially the community of God's people, the community of God's people is too messy, it's too diverse, it's not a lot of people that I would actually ever want to hang out with, and so I'm not going to engage in that. I don't want to kind of take Jesus at his words in that sense. We're comfortable, and so we're not sent. But what if we were? What if we weren't so busy recreating religion for ourselves that we just followed Jesus' words. We saw ourselves as sent people, people who gather together and are sent out. God never calls someone in without sending them out. You're never called into God's family, into relationship with God, and not sent out. Every one of us in this room is sent out to people. And we're sent with confidence because God has put every single person in your life in your life for a reason. Even the people that you avoid. He's given them to you. He sent you out, and he sent you out to make, to make disciples. This is where a lot of us are like, okay, you had me on the the go because I can be kind to people, I can be nice to people, you know, I I can say hi to that person that I always pretend like I don't see. I can do that, but make disciples, I mean, (laughs) what does that even mean? Make disciples. Unfortunately, in the church, we've made discipleship a program, Discipleship is a program in the church, and this is what a lot of us think. Discipleship is a seasoned, mature Christian who meets and mentors a new or younger Christian in their faith and teaches them how to read the Bible and how to apply spiritual disciplines to their life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you think that's discipleship? It's not. Is it good? Yes. Should we have that? Mentorship? Yes. Yes. Is it discipleship? No, not really at all. I mean, it's taking verse 20 out of context, and it's taking it in a good way, which is to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, but it's not what Jesus has in mind. Who does Jesus have in mind here? He says, go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's sending the church the followers of Jesus. Disciple means follower of Jesus. He's sending the followers of Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. Now, he's not sending you to the person on the other row. He's calling you to make disciples of people who are far from God, who have created their own system of belief and purpose and community apart from Jesus. That's who he's sending you to, to make disciples of them. And this is where the real issue is kind of arises, I think, for most of us, is that in order for us to take Jesus at his words and go to people in our lives and seek to make disciples of people who do not know Jesus, we have to let them into our lives. That's the hard part. We let in people that we vibe with, that we like. We let in people that we're romantically interested in or we marry, and we let in people that will benefit us. And then when we let them in, let's be honest, we're very careful with how we maintain those relationships. How many times have you thought, I can't insert too much Jesus in this relationship, it's going to really mess it up. I can't tell them I go to church. I can't tell them I'm going to pray for them. I can't ask them really how they're doing because then that's going to unload a whole thing and I'm going to have to be vulnerable and that's going to get weird. I like it where we are or we just talk about sports and we just talk about fashion and we just talk about Netflix comfortable, careful. But see, listen, every time you think, no, I can't, I'm not, I can't share my faith with that person. I can't let that person know I even believe in Jesus. I can't let that person know that I go to church. I can't tell that person I want to pray for them. Every time you think I'm not going to let that person into my life and who I really am, it's not God. That's Satan's sentiment. He loves that keep doing that comfortable belief system and community and purpose that's really great recreate your own religion Yeah, be comfortable don't take what jesus says as true and take the adventure of faith of going to people who don't know who jesus christ is and seek to make disciples by letting them into your life and your faith and what you believe and what you're struggling with and what you're doubting and what you're processing it's one of the reasons why we don't make disciples here's the other reason it's because many of us are too focused on our own discipleship. We're too focused. How many of you have thought, I can't make a disciple of someone else because I need to be discipled? Because your view of discipleship was a seasoned Christian meeting and mentoring a younger Christian. Maybe that's you. We're so focused on our own discipleship and engaging in Christian programs and going to Bible study fellowship and going to small group and going to that event with your Christian friends on Friday night and only your Christian friends and whatever it may be, Christian programs, Christian events, Christian community, we're so focused on our own discipleship that we don't focus on others and we're unwilling to go and to make. You see, the the biggest threat to the church is not hedonism, it's distraction, distracted by programs and increasing our own goodness and our own morality and increasing our own discipleship and our goals for the year are focused on ourselves and our spiritual goals are often only focused on ourselves and Jesus his last words to the disciples are do not look at yourself go to other people make disciples of other people but we're too busy looking at ourselves. So maybe you've thought, okay, I'm going to try to take Jesus at his word and engage in this adventure of faith. I'm going to go to the people that are in my life. I'm going to seek to make disciples, letting people in and being honest and being vulnerable. How do I make disciples? I mean, that's like intimidating. Well, we have five weeks to flesh that out. We're not going to do that all tonight. But here's what I want to ask you to consider very practically this week. I want to ask you to take the title seriously, to focus on one, one person. Jesus had 12 disciples. Jesus didn't focus on everyone. Now, he was kind and compassionate, and he was open and honest with everyone, and he served people, he was engaged with people, but he discipled and focused on 12 well, I don't know if you're like me, I'm nowhere close to Jesus, so I'll start with one. i not going to start with 12, I'm going to start with one. Focus on one person. Who's the one person in your life that you feel, maybe even right now, that God is calling you to go to, to engage with, to be open, to be vulnerable, to spend time with, to walk alongside? You see, the disciples knew Jesus, and the reason they knew Jesus was not because of his teaching and the times of prayer and the times they served together. That was important, but the vast majority of the disciples' time with Jesus was just walking side by side, having a meal during the sunset, going fishing in a boat, walking on the beach. The vast majority of their time was spent like that. And so, what if you just focus on one person and said, I'm just gonna be intentional and available? It's gonna be intentional and available. I'm gonna be intentional to spend time with that person, maybe weekly, get drinks after work, go to lunch, get coffee, spend time on the weekends, whatever it looks like in your rhythm of life. But I'm gonna be intentional to spend time with that person, and I'm gonna be intentional. To go deeper, I'm gonna let them know who I am, what I'm processing, what's happening in my life, the doubts and the thoughts that I have, that I'm a person of faith, that I'm growing in that. I'm gonna be intentional to go deeper. I'm not gonna just talk about Netflix and fashion and the Super Bowl coming. I'm gonna be intentional to go deeper, and I'm gonna be available. What a gift to a friend to be available to them. We have a hard time being available to people. What if you said, this one person I'm going to be intentional with and I'm going to be available to them. If they need me, if they need prayer, if they need time, I'm as best as I can, I'm going to be available. I think what would happen if we took Jesus' word seriously and we saw ourselves as sent, called to make disciples and we were intentional and available with one person, we would see baptism. We'd see people's lives changed. We'd see the church built. You see, that's what baptism signifies. It doesn't only signify what God is doing in the heart and the life of that person, though it certainly shows us that. But it is a sign that someone is being brought into the family of God. I think what we would see As Many people come to faith, engage in the church, see Jesus for who he is, see their lives changed, and it would be an adventure. It would be risky. It would be difficult. It would be uncomfortable. But is it not worth it? I think it's worth it. I think you and me need to be a little bit more like Larry Walter, willing to take risks financing it. Because a Christian is not meant to just sit around. We're not meant to just sit around, guys. We're called to go and to make, to see baptism. So we focus on one. So will you engage with that this year with me? I think it'll be exciting. Let's pray. God, we are distracted people. I know I'm distracted often by everything else in life. I'm distracted by leisure. Distracted by the next goal to accomplish and work. I'm distracted by just maintaining a comfortable relationship with people. God, I pray for myself and for all of us here tonight that you would just cut through the distraction with your transformative truth and the beauty of it, that we would see that you welcome us in whether or not we are ready to worship or whether we are hesitant. You welcome us before you, that you mold and shape our life in such a way to bring us here tonight. And we ask, God, that we would lay our lives before you. We would lay the people in our life before you. That we would focus on one person and that you would give us intentionality and availability there. Give us courage. Make us uncomfortable and okay with that. I pray that we would trust you, God that the adventure of faith that you call us to is exciting and worth it just to not do more of the same and sit around, but to go and to make and to baptize. What do we see many baptisms this year, God? People's lives changed and called into the church because that is the greatest joy for us to see and experience that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.